two things we know to be true. Our culture is always changing, and our God never changes. Now, since our culture is always changing, the questions that people raise and the challenges we face are always changing too. We are not only facing different challenges and trying to answer different questions than Christians were 500 years ago. In some sense, we're facing different challenges and questions than we were 15 years ago. But since God never changes, and He has given us His Word, which also does not change, we don't have to wonder where we should go looking for answers to those questions, or for help to face those challenges. But the Bible is not a textbook. Uh, did anybody have a textbook in, in school where you could flip to the back and there was an answer key, right? That's especially helpful in your math book, right? The Bible's not like that. You can't flip to the back and find the section that tells you, here's how to live faithfully following Jesus in 2023. It's just not how the Bible works. The Bible is a book of wisdom, and acquiring wisdom is not the same as studying for a multiple-choice test. You can cram for that, but you can't cram wisdom. Acquiring wisdom takes time, consistency, patience, prayer, humility, and grace. We need wisdom, we need God's wisdom for the challenges that we are facing. And the good news is that God says in James 1.5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. We can ask God for wisdom and know that we will receive it. And we know that we have received God's wisdom and not the wisdom of the world based on what that wisdom does. How that wisdom responds. See, James also says later in James 3, the wisdom from above, that is the wisdom from God, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So wisdom is not just about content, it's also about character. The wisdom that comes from God has the imprint of God's character stamped on it. Now, I said before that we're facing different challenges and having to answer different questions than Christians in earlier times had to face. All throughout the history of the church, there have been different questions that have risen to the top that have become uh, of fresh importance. And that challenged the church to be more clear about specific teachings in Scripture. For example, in the earliest days of the church, uh, there were questions about what it meant for God to be three and one. What it meant for God to be a trinity and how Jesus could be both fully human and fully God. And the church didn't create the doctrine of the trinity in response to those questions, but they had to clarify what the Bible meant when it said that the word who was God became flesh. And things like that. In the time of the Reformation, there were questions about uh, the church and questions about salvation. In particular, about what it means for us to be justified. What it means for us 
to have our sins forgiven and to receive the righteousness of Christ. And the reformers were clarifying the doctrine of justification by faith, that when we believe in Christ, that our sins are forgiven and we receive Christ's righteousness. They didn't invent that doctrine, but they did have to clarify what Scripture meant by it. In our time, we are living in uh, what some call a post-Christian culture. And what they mean by that is Western culture used to be predominantly influenced by Christians and Christian teaching, right? And now that is not as much the case, right? That Christian influence in Western culture is waning, but there's still some of that influence there. It's not pre-Christian, right? Like the, like the Roman Empire, before Christianity had spread, it's post-Christian, right? And in this post-Christian culture, uh, we have a fresh set of challenges and questions. And perhaps the doctrine that we are most uh, focused on right now, most uh, questioned about having to clarify for our day is the doctrine of man. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Again, we didn't invent the doctrine of man, but we are having to clarify it in light of new questions and new challenges. Uh, Many of you will know why those questions, uh, why this challenge, right, is necessary. Questions abound in our culture, not only about sexuality, but also around gender, what it means to be male and female, our front and center in our culture, but also on the horizon, or perhaps even closer, are questions related to artificial intelligence, genetics, and, as far-fetched as this may seem to some, I heard serious and thoughtful Christians talking just recently about the possibility of extraterrestrial life and how we might relate to it if it does exist. And between the time that I wrote this and this morning, that came up in conversation again. So there are all kinds of questions. Those are some of the new ones, but there are lots of old ones, too, that have been around for a long time. Questions related to abortion, euthanasia, race or ethnicity, and on and on. What does the Bible tell us about these things? How does the Bible help us understand what it is to be a human being, a person made in the image of God, and how that should affect the way that we interact with and respond to all these questions? Because they're not questions we can avoid. And in some questions, in some cases, the answers are not simple or easy to come by. So, my goal over the next several weeks is to help us think biblically and clearly about what it means to be human. To be creatures made in the image of God. So that we might be better equipped to answer the questions and challenges that we face in our own day. Now, that's a lot longer introduction than I normally give, but that's to set up this whole 
series. This is also a different uh, approach than what I normally take. We're normally preaching through books of the Bible. Over the next several weeks, we'll be uh, trying to pull together uh, the whole teaching of Scripture uh, to address this question of what does the Bible say about what it means to be human. Today, we're going to start with just one simple statement. What does it mean to be human? It means to be made in the image of God. And our text this morning is from Genesis chapter 1. You'll all know it. Uh, We're going to focus especially on verses 26 and 27 this morning, but I'm going to read Genesis 1, 26 to 31. This is the account of creation. And verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Now, when we focus this morning on what it means to be made in the image of God, it's important to remember that just because something is simple doesn't mean it's simplistic. Right? What is simple can, in fact, be quite profound. And the fact that we are created by God is a simple statement to make, but it has profound importance for how we think about ourselves and about our lives. If you don't think it's that profound or has that much impact on your life, just consider what seems possible and even right to someone who thinks that there is no God who created them. What kinds of doors does that open? It's a very important, profound, foundational truth that we see clearly in Genesis chapter 1. The very first verse of Genesis 1 says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So there was nothing except God. And then God created and there was something. And God throughout Genesis chapter 1, he brings order out of chaos, right? He develops the, the land so that it becomes a habitable place for not only plants and animals, but ultimately for people. All the things that were made, God himself made them. And so from the very beginning, the Bible tells us that there are two kinds of things in the universe, and only two. Things that were created and something that was not. Those are the only two categories. That's the basic line in the sand. On one side of the line is anything that was created. On the other side of the line is anything that was not created. 
We are on the side of things that were created. Plants, people, animals, atoms, you name it. If it was made, we're all lumped together on the side we call creation. But there is only one who was not created, the creator, God himself. He was the only one who was there in the beginning, and if it wasn't for him, there wouldn't be anything. He spoke it all into existence, and he is the one who says in verse 26, let us make man. He is the one who made us, who created us, who fashioned us. He is the creator, and we are creatures. And if we erase that distinction, all kinds of things get wacky. But if we recognize this distinction and know that there is a God who is our creator, who is still involved in the ruling and governing of the universe and and involved in our lives, that makes a huge difference as well. The fact that there is a creator implies that we were created with a specific design or intention in mind. That we're not accidents. We're not mistakes. But that we were intentionally created by a wise and good creator. Scripture tells us plainly that we were made for Christ. In Colossians 1, verse 16, after Paul reminds us that uh, the Son of God, right, Jesus is uh, the firstborn of all creation, he's the image of God, Paul says in verse 16, he says, For by him, that is by the Son, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So that means all of us were created to know and love and serve and worship and have fellowship with Jesus. That's why we were made. We were made through him and we were made for him. We were not made for ourselves. We were made for our God. That's why we exist. So having a creator implies that we were made for a purpose. It also implies that that creator cares for us. We have not been thrown to the winds and an irrational, indifferent universe, as so many people feel like they are. Just floating through this random set of colliding particles and you just do your best to survive and make the best of it while you can. No, we have a creator who made us, and because he made us, he cares for us, he loves us, he provides for us. So much so that Paul can come to a group of pagans in Acts 14, people who don't, they don't know about God, they probably got lots of idols, but they, know, they don't know about the true God. And he says to them, this is in Acts 14, he says, in past generations, God allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. 
So even those who are, you know, distributing their worship to all kinds of false gods, idols and images fashioned in the form of created things, rather than worshiping the Creator. Despite that, what was the Creator doing? Caring for them, sending them rain, sending them food, giving them gladness, providing for them. Why? Because the Creator cares for His creation, even when the creation doesn't care about Him. He loves us whether we even know He's there or not, whether we even recognize He's there or not. But also having a Creator implies accountability. If somebody made us, and he made us for a purpose, then it would make sense that we would have to give an account to him of whether or not we lived in line with that purpose. Right? So the Bible also says, it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We are responsible for living in line with how the Creator created us. That's our job. That's what we're called to do. Now, again, there's lots of confusion about this, and part of it is because so many people are no longer convinced that there is a God who still cares about them, who made them, who's involved in their lives, and to whom they will have to give an account. So one author, one Christian author, puts this really well, talking about what she calls uh, the gender paradigm. And she says, according to the gender paradigm, there is no creator. And so we are free to create ourselves. The body is an object with no intrinsic meaning. We give it whatever meaning we want, using technology to undo what is perceived to be natural. We do not receive meaning from God or our bodies or the world. We impose it. That's what is going on, and that's why it's going on. If we think that God is dead, so to speak, or non-existent, or simply indifferent to us, then we're left to figure out on our own who we are, what we're for, what we're supposed to do. We become responsible for forging our own identity, which is the chief message in our culture right now. You are responsible for forging your own identity, which is meant to be freeing, but as others have said, it actually becomes a burden. Real freedom is found when you live in accord with the purpose for which you were made. If you don't know why you were made and you have to come up with your own purpose, your own identity, that's more than we were meant to bear. People don't recognize, many people don't recognize anymore that there is a potter and that we are the clay, not the potter. That's the very imagery Isaiah used to rebuke those who thought God could not see what they were doing. In Isaiah 29, when he said, Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, Who sees us? Who knows us? You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay that the thing made should say of its maker, He did not make me, 
or the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding? That's the trouble we've gotten ourselves in. We either think there is no potter, or that if there is, he doesn't know what he's doing. And so we need to refashion ourselves. But that's not the truth. We were created by God. How were we created? To what end? If we're on the same side of that line as all the plants and animals and everything else, are, are we as humans nothing more than animals? We just other, you know, living, breathing creatures? Or is there something significant about being human? That's also really clear from Genesis chapter 1. Right? That we alone, of all the things that God created on the earth, are made in the image of God. When you read through Genesis 1, there's plenty of drama there in that passage as God separates the dry land from the waters and he separates the waters above from the waters below and he uh, begins to uh, create plants and animals and so on. But the clear climax of the passage, of the story, is when God says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. He doesn't say that about anything or anyone else. He doesn't say that about the animals. He doesn't say that about the plants. He doesn't say that about planets. He says that about people. Only people, only human beings are made in the image of God. And not only is it only humanity that's made in the image of God, but all of humanity is made in the image of God. Verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So both the man and the woman, and not just the first man and the woman, but every man and woman ever since has been made in the image and likeness of God. All of us. No exceptions. James says this quite plainly, because you might think, well, but after God made us in his image... Then, then the fall came and sin, and like that had some really bad consequences, right? So are we, are we still made in the image of God, or was that just Adam and Eve and we lost the rest of that? No, it definitely had an effect, right? The fall had a, a serious negative consequence for us, but it did not remove from us the reality that we are made in the image of God. And one of the reasons why we know that is because James says in the New Testament, in James 3, he says, he's talking about in this passage about our our tongue, our mouth, the, the words that we use, and how dangerously powerful the tongue can be. And he says, with it, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So there are two things there. One, we're still made in the image of God. Because James is saying all that time later, hey, what we're saying about these people, we're saying about people who are made in God's image. We're praising God, but we're cursing people made in the image of God. That doesn't make any sense. So yes, people are still made in the image of God. And second, that should affect the way we treat and talk about those people. All people. 
The image of God is at the root of what it means to be human. It is the fundamental reality about our humanity, that we are made in the image and likeness of God, and that that separates us from every other created thing on the planet. And that applies to all of us, men and women, both made equally in the image of God. It applies to babies in the womb, professional athletes, people who take a different side than you on politics, people who live on a different side of the border than you do, people who don't dress, talk, look, act, think like you, at the root. And most importantly, they are a person made in the image of God. And here's what I want you to remember. Any Christian opinion about any person must begin with this fundamental truth. I am made in the image of God, and so are they. That's the starting place. That's where the Bible starts. So what is the image of God? If it's so important, how do we describe it? What is it? What does it mean? And this is something that people have thrown out probably dozens of answers trying to capture in some simple phrase or something what it is to be made in the image of God. It's not easy to do. But here's something we can say for sure. The image of God, even though it, we hear the word image, you think of a physical appearance, right? It's not our physical appearance that is the image of God because God doesn't have a physical body. Right? God is spirit. So it's not like if you were to look at God, he would look like us. Two arms, two legs, two eyes, two ears. That kind of, you know, that's not what the image of God means. It's also not primarily about what we can do. Because if the image of God was mainly about what we could do, we could lose it when we were no longer able to do that. Would a baby be made in the image of God if a baby can't do anything? <laughs> So it's not what we look like, it's not what we do. It's hard to define, but what we can say is it's who we are. It's what we are. Whatever that is. However you want to try to boil that down. One teacher puts it this way. He says, the whole human being is the image of God in soul and in body, in all human faculties, powers, and gifts, Nothing in humanity is excluded from God's image. It stretches as far as our humanity does and constitutes our humanness. Which is a long way of saying being made in the image of God is just what we are. It's what a human being is. And that should lead us to two things. Because we're created in the image of God, we should be humble. Because we're created. We're not gods. We're not the creator. We are not the fashioners of our own identity, of our own purpose and meaning. Instead, we should love, honor, trust, worship, and thank the one who made us and seek to live in accordance with the reason, the purpose, the intention behind his creation of us. That takes humility. 
But we also need to know that because we are created in the image of God, we have dignity and worth that is not dependent upon what we can do or what we look like. Again, a baby, whether in the womb or out, cannot care for itself, cannot contribute to the economy, cannot make decisions for itself. But so what? It is a person made in the image of God. It is a creation of God bearing the likeness of God. You may come to a time in your adult life when you can barely get out of your bed because your body just doesn't work like it used to. Does that mean you are no longer valuable? If you always believed your value was tied to what you could do, then you might feel that way. But you need to know, and we all need to be reminded, that that is not the truth. Your value as a human being was never tied to what you can do. It was always based on who you are. A person made in the image of God. That must be where we start in all of our thinking about every person, including ourselves, including those we perceive to be our enemies, including those that are different from us in some ways, including those who are most vulnerable. We are all created in the image of God, and therefore we all have dignity and value that has nothing to do with what we can do or what we look like or anything else except who made us and how he made us. God made us in his image. Let us never forget that about ourselves or anyone else. Let's pray.